0: San Francisco, the homeless encampment by the bay, not only has a reparations committee, but that bogus committee is now recommending a multi-million dollar payout to longtime black residents. San Francisco Democrats, tell me you're buying votes without telling me you're buying votes. Donald Trump's religious advisor, Pastor Daryl Scott, is here to weigh in. Then, the House Republicans have been busy, but will it make a difference? Congressman Andy Biggs joins me later. And the show starts now. Reparations, the concept of compensating slash bribing people who were never slaves for the injustices done to their ancestors who may or may not have been slaves. It's no secret our nation has a troubled history of slavery, discrimination and injustice, one that is used primarily by white liberals not as a teaching tool but as a race bait that always seems to have something in it for them. Enter this new plan introduced by the San Francisco African American Reparations Advisory Committee which has drafted a plan to pay each black longtime resident 5 million bucks while granting total debt forgiveness due to the decades of systemic repression faced by the local black community. Now, it's important to note California was not a slave state, but the committee argues that detail is irrelevant. So, how does one qualify for this lump sum payout? Well, the applicant must be 18 years old and have identified as black or African American on public documents for at least 10 years. They must also prove at least two of eight additional criteria choosing from a list that includes born in san francisco between 1940 and 1996 and as proof of residency in san francisco for at least 13 years and or personally or the direct descendant of someone incarcerated by the failed war on drugs hold up i'm already confused applicants just have to identify as black it's 2023 and this is the era of the identity free for freaking all and furthermore Does this criteria also state an eligibility is to be or to know someone who is locked up on drug charges? Oh, and bonus, the plan also calls on the city to supplement lower-income recipients' income and wages to reflect the area median income, which is about $97,000 annually for at least 250 years. Bonus 2.0, the plan also seeks to establish a comprehensive debt forgiveness program that clears each person's student and housing loads, credit card debt, etc. Let's do some quick math here, San Francisco has a population of about 816,000 and based on this criteria I'd say roughly 500,000 are going to at least attempt to cash in. Reparations, this sounds more like just full blown socialism, what a crock of crap. This isn't a reparations plan, it's a contingency plan just in case padding the voting block with illegal immigrants plus mass mail-in voting isn't enough to clinch eternal Democrat electoral victory. And nothing says equality quite like segregating a portion of the population with payouts based on race. Joining me now with his take on all of this is Donald Trump's religious advisor, Pastor Daryl Scott. All right, Pastor Scott, you got to tell me when you saw this your top line thoughts on this San Francisco reparations plan. Go.
1: I'm moving to San Francisco.
0: <laughs> $5 million. But. That's They're going to
1: take and make people millionaires, overnight millionaires. This better than hitting the lotto. I mean, come on, Tommy. Now, honestly, this here is just political theater. I really don't think they have any plans. to. There's just no way this thing could, could work. And it opens up a can of worms and genders a whole lot of other questions. It's a slippery slope. But then when you look at it, you know, as you stated, California was not a slave state. So how do we get around that? Well, there was systemic uh, repression and repression. And then it even goes so far as to provide reparations for watch this, lost revenue to dope dealers. Like if they hadn't been put in jail for selling dope, they could have made this much money. So we have to give their ancestors reparations and financial uh, 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 compensation for the drug money that their parents didn't make. Well, this stuff is ridiculous. This is like some of the dumbest, stupidest stuff I've ever heard of in my life. And then. They want to raise the welfare, basically, increase welfare to take every welfare recipient up to an income level of $97,000 a year. This is the dumbest, stupidest stuff I've ever heard of in my life.
0: For 250 years, so just, just a short amount of time there. But, you know, $5 million, what really got me in this criteria was one of the areas you have to hit, I think it was two of eight and perhaps more, but one of them was you just have to identify as black for African American on documents for at least ten years, so you could be like Elizabeth Warren and identify as whatever you want, and perhaps get a multi-million dollar payout just for identifying as black. And this is California, so you could pretty much identify as whatever you want in that state and get away with it.
1: Yeah, uh, Rachel Rachel Dozel needs to move there, <laughs> and Elizabeth Warren she can switch her ethnicity to black, get her money, then go back to being. Uh, a a Native American or whatever she says. Once again, it's absolutely ridiculous. I don't think it has any chance of passing. It's it's making the news and it's making the people that introduce it um, newsworthy. And then it's giving certain people a false sense of hope because, you know, it'll go out and people will just say, hey, guess what? We're getting $5 million. For what? For being Black. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. And then you did the math. You didn't do the total... Uh, that it would cost, like you said, 816,000 people times 5 million. The numbers are astronomical. Who's going to pay for it? Where is it coming from? What is that trickle-down effect going to be in other states now? People are going to be like, well, they got their money. I want my money. Well, what about me? What about us? What about this? Now, you know what? Watch this. I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. I grew up, I was born in the 50s. I grew up in the 60s. And in that political climate, that racial climate in Cleveland during my lifetime, we didn't have the segregation or anything like that. And in fact, my great, 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 great grandfather was from Scotland. So I imagine that's where I got my name from. And so I don't know, you know, I didn't do all of this roots and everything like that. But from what I understand, my family goes back in Cleveland to the late 1700s. I don't know how much racism we experienced. So I guess I wouldn't qualify. For we, I don't have any family members. You know, I, I always tease. I'm the only black man in America that doesn't have any relatives down south. We didn't come from down south. You know, I had people that came over from Canada or whatever. So maybe I don't even qualify for the money. I'm going to have to look into it. <laughs>
0: That's what's also very odd to me, is how you differentiate who gets what. I mean, if you're half black, do you get half that total? It opens up a can of worms. I think you're right, though. This isn't serious, or at least I'd hope it's not serious. Again, this is San Francisco, California, so there are more shocking things that happen there on a daily basis. I know because I lived in L.A. for several years. But I will say this. The fact that they are spending taxpayer dollars on a reparations committee alone is is really aggravating to me. They could be using that to, I don't know, maybe clean up the crap off the streets of San Francisco that affects every race, gender, and identity. But instead, they're forming committees to make these BS bogus plans like this to get media attention. I don't know if you spend any time in San Francisco, Pastor Scott, but I gotta tell you, they have a feces cleanup committee. They should've taken the money from this reparations committee, given it to the feces committee. I think everyone would've been better off.
1: Yeah. I mean, it used to be a nice place to visit, but I didn't want to live there. Now it's not even a nice place to visit. Hey, we didn't even investigate. We didn't even talk about the debt cancellation. I mean, you're talking about payday loans. You mean to tell me you went and got a payday loan. Now you don't even have to pay that back. (laughs) You're talking about payday loans, student loan forgiveness, credit card forgiveness. What it is we're going to reward you uh, for fiscal irresponsibility simply because of the color of your skin. It doesn't make any sense. You know, they're even now trying to crack down and get back a lot of the abuses in the PPP loans because a lot of people abused that uh, that handout. They abused that and they took and did stuff with that money that there was a lot of fraud in it, just put it that way.
0: Yeah, no kidding. I've never seen the designer stores have a longer line than when those payouts started happening, as well as the increased unemployment benefits. But I have to ask you because I've been wondering what you thought about all this on numerous occasions. Now, our president, the illustrious Joe Biden, who let's be honest, he's probably a little forgetful, and we know that people get like that in old age. But he has repeated this now several times that he went to a black church. And when you hear this, and know, and the other day he said he would go to mass and then he would go to the black church. I just don't know where he comes up with these things. But what are your thoughts when you hear him say it?
1: Well, you know. Tommy, you're a lot more diplomatic and you're a lady. Joe is a line sack of, you know what, he's just a line sack where he gets somewhere, he surveys the room and just outline. He keeps on, you know, next he's gonna say that he's, he's really black. Because every time he gets in a black audience, he he goes into this black spiel of his. Black history roots. He was at the lunch counter in Alabama. He marched with Martin Luther King. He got arrested at a civil rights protest. He participated in the riots in the 60s. Now he was going to mass. You're talking about a high school kid. You're telling me this high school kid was getting up at 7:30 in the morning, going to mass, then leaving mass and going to a black church. Even when he went to college, he's leaving mass and going to a black church. So he's 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 half Catholic, half Protestant. Get out of here. And then, But he called himself a devout Catholic. Okay, a devout Catholic would not do anything like that. And then a devout Protestant wouldn't do anything like that either. He just got up there and just started lying. Then he sang happy birthday to, uh, I think it was MLK Jr.'s wife, and didn't even know her name. He got the part, happy birthday to, um, uh, uh, happy birthday, come on, man. Joe needs to, start. and if it was Trump doing this, or any Republican candidate doing this, They would would just crucify and vilify them all across America. And they keep giving this old fart a pass. They just keep giving him a pass. And he's using his old fartiness to get the pass. But, but you know, he's just a liar. He's just a liar. He's a liar
0: you're right about the pass that he does use i mean he uses it for everything whether it be the mass in the black church or the classified documents next to the corvette i mean the thing about it is though when joe says he forgot we kind of look at him and go yeah you probably did forget so we give him a pass for that but then we also give him you know access to the nuclear code so that's also very concerning to me last thing i have to ask you and i'm wondering if you saw it or not Um, Yesterday, again, our illustrious president decided he was going to kneel in front of an entire NBA team. (laughs) Kamala Harris said that she would not kneel, but then Joe got down on his knee. You know, miraculously, he was able to get back up. But yet again, it's just these moments. They're a moment in time I wish we never could forget.
1: Joe is staying in campaign mode. He's a career politician. He's like a bunch of black folks here. In, In his mind, Black Lives Matter came to his mind. And taking the knee, because the NBA players took the knee, so I'm taking the knee. He's just doing whatever he can to uh, garner the Black vote. Let me add one more thing real quick, though. Even with these documents, right, I thought they had every single one of Barack Obama's presidential documents accounted for. These documents that Joe took, these were Obama's documents. These were from the Obama administration. What happened to the narrative that all of Barack Obama's documents are accounted for because apparently they're not that's just another spin the dems lie and they lie and they lie again and they lie brazenly and it seems as if well at least the media gives them a passport Nobody scrutinized it.
0: well i think that's probably because you know joe is such a christian that he goes to mass and then goes to the black church so <laughs> i can't wait to see what he's going to say next week but thank you for being here you always give us a good laugh And I certainly enjoy it. And I hope to talk to you very soon. Maybe the next time Joe does something ridiculous. Pastor Scott, thanks for being here.
1: Thank you. God bless you.
0: God bless you. Still ahead, my next guest says cleansing the FBI and DOJ is way past due. Congressman Andy Biggs joins me next with his take on that, McCarthy's performance so far, and more. You know, it's bad enough Joe kept several batches of classified documents in his personal possession and within the vicinity of his cracked-out hooker-loving son, but when he's asked about it, about compromising our national security, he grins like Hunter Biden at the spearmint rhino. The hubris is just too much, but it's expected from Joe. Democrats gonna Democrat after all, but what about our law enforcement and intelligence agencies? What is their excuse? Now don't get me wrong, the agents at the FBI, the DOJ, the men and women working tirelessly and without bias deserve our utmost respect, but there's institutional rot in DC and it needs a cleaning. Joining me now is one man who'd like to be that swamp rapid rooter, so to speak, Congressman Andy Biggs. Congressman, thank you so much for being with me. I know that you guys have had a busy couple of weeks, and then now we have these classified documents from Joe. What are your top-line thoughts? Uh, what else are we going to find in Joe's possession?
2: Well, you know, it's almost impossible to say, but I mean, when you start thinking about this, these documents are more than six years uh, uh old because because they had to be moving around from place to place think about that because these were when he was vice president supposedly the second thing i th- i hope we find out is what's the real timeline here we're told that that his lawyers called the doj on the 4th of november or the archivist on the 4th of november but here's the deal how long before that did they have the documents and why are we not why don't why isn't doj raiding his place and why are they allowing his lawyers, Biden's lawyers to just kind of rummage around through and say, "Oh yeah, this is it. We got everything now." It just seems so dichotomous to how the treatment that Donald Trump got.
0: Well, it certainly does, and you know, I've had a theory ever since this news broke. You know, they knew about this back in early November, coincidentally around the time of those midterms, and they made the midterms largely about Donald Trump, and of course they talked about his classified documents, The Donald Trump is a crook, he's a criminal, he's hiding information. So they made a lot of the midterms about that, even though Donald Trump was not on a single ticket. It was still largely about Trump, about the so-called mega-Republicans and stopping them at every turn, but yet... Joe Biden, early November, they know about these classified documents. They sat on it. Then in December, they found more documents. They sat on it. And then finally, come January, they're finally reporting on it about the first batch. Then they tell us about the second batch. Then they tell us there's another few documents floating around in that garage. I mean, it seems like very convenient timing now. But I think, Congressman, correct me if I'm wrong, it would seem to me that they're about to throw Joe Biden under the bus. And I don't mean Republicans. I mean Democrats.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. I think the Democrats find uh, Joe Biden uh, increasingly difficult to defend, right? I mean, so they don't want him running in 2024 against any Republican candidate because Joe's record has been terrible. Um, he's going to be so old at the 82, and I'm not that's not meant to, to, to discredit that, but, I mean, the reality is he's 82, appears to have cognitive decline, and he's all over the map. So I think they're tossing him. I'm like you. I think they're tossing him to the wolves right now. I think they'll let him finish out his term, but they're not going to let him run again, and they're going to just uh, continue to erode whatever uh, little bit of support he has. They're going to keep fighting against that.
0: Of all the things, you know, he's been their faithful puppet for two years now and on their watch really has been successful because he's been able to accomplish a lot of the radical leftist agenda. Whether he's been awake for most of it or not is irrelevant. He has done his job for them, but now I think you're right. They don't want him to go through more debates because it's really hard to keep that whole Weekend at Bernie charade up much longer. I think they're ready to discard him. I think Kamala, Gavin Newsom, maybe even Pete Buttigieg are very excited about these classified findings. But moving on past all of that, I want to talk about the FBI, the DOJ. I know that House Republicans have vowed to make sure that these institutions are returned to some form of transparency, some form of what they should be. Uh, Any luck on that so far, at least the beginning process of doing just that?
2: Well, yeah, what we've been doing is we've been trying, we've sent preservation letters. And DOJ and FBI have been very slow and very reticent to respond, right? So the uh, Jim uh, Jordan, who's going to be the new chair of the judiciary, is already in line to do subpoenas to these agencies and these agencies' heads. And I think James Comer in the uh, oversight committee is, is ready as well to bring these people in. So that's the first step is to get them to come in and actually start the process in that way. But I am really concerned... Because that omnibus bill gave the FBI a new headquarters, gave them a whole bunch, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars or more money. And quite frankly, I I would imagine Christopher Wray, uh, Merrick Garland and company, they're going to just kind of try to stiff arm the Republicans. And we've got to use our our, uh, leverage points. We've got to be strong and just really drag it out of them to get the truth out to the American people. Because it is, I think, when we find it out, the real truth going to be uh, one of the biggest scandals of uh, American history.
0: What are we going to do, Congressman, to make the average American care about this? Because I ask all of my guests this, especially when I'm lucky enough to have a representative. I asked Byron Donalds this last week. I've asked Jim Jordan this. Everybody that I get to talk to, I want to know, how do we make the American people at large, not just Republicans, not those that have just been targeted and feel the wrath, how do we make average Americans care about not only this investigation, but investigations into big tech, and all the other investigations you guys are set and ready to do, Hunter Biden being another one, it seems like the American people at large are not understanding how important this is. And I think it's your job and it's my job to make them understand. But how do we get there?
2: Well, we have to tell a better narrative. I mean, it's it's real easy to say, oh yeah, we're going to investigate these people. And, and and American people are like, oh, we're just, we don't like the conflict. We want to be comfortable. What you have to I- express to them is why this matters to them in their daily life. For instance, I mean, the reason that we did well with inflation and gas prices, we could we talked about what's the gas at the pump like. How come you have a shortage of, of eggs? You know. All, Those things that mean something to somebody on a daily basis. So when we start talking about Hunter Biden, we need to start talking about the you have to talk about why corruption in in Washington, D.C., because they already think it's corrupt. I mean, they think everybody's corrupt in D.C. So you have to talk about why on a daily level that's what's causing discomfort in your life and making changes in your life. Maybe you have a loved one that that has an opioid addiction. Why, so that so you can talk about the border that way. You have to build the narrative where it's visceral to them because uh, I I like to think in terms of rationality. But the, most Americans respond because it, it sometimes involves uh, a bit of a tall tale. The Democrats are perfectly fine talking about tall tales, and the left we're going to have to tell the tale on uh, how and and how this affects and impacts your life.
0: Let's talk about something that most Americans think they care about, but when they get into the weeds of it, they don't really know much about, let's be honest, and that's the debt ceiling. There are a lot of Americans, especially younger Americans in my generation and then, of course, the Gen Z generation who don't understand what the debt ceiling is. They think you just print more money. They don't know why it's a problem. Just keep raising it. I know that you've been tweeting about it, cautioning people that this is real. It's going to impact your life. What do you think that fighting that struggle is going to be like and how are Republicans going to fight it?
2: Well, it's, you know, Republicans uh, uh, of all stripes are talking about well, what can we negotiate off of it? What can we get off of it? But the reality is, uh, if you keep raising the debt ceiling, that's an inflationary pressure in and of itself because it devalues your currency. Now, I'm talking again like a wonky guy. But what, what we need to tell the American people is, guess what? Uh, you, you you feel like maybe things have kind of stabilized uh, the inflation rate is is dropping its still you still get regular increases in in inflation but when you start devaluing the money a couple of things happen you you increase inflationary pressure and how about the value of your 401k what does that look like um, as you devalue the, your your money so we have to deal with that in that sense so what I think is going to happen is is uh, uh, there'll be Republicans that go with the Democrats, and they'll they'll lift that debt ceiling, um, and they'll say we have to do it. We can't, and they won't get anything for it a significant. No reforms. No promises to reduce budget. I hate to be a pessimist. I just have been doing this long enough to realize that's the sad part. That's the sad part. And another way to look at it is is Tommy, your generation, um, say so long, say, say so long to Social Security. Say so long to to long-term institutional uh, retirement and planning for for you know it seems to like a long way off to you. It used to when I was a, a young person as well, but but the reality is it gets on you pretty pretty quick, and and the value is going to be de- declining because of things like in- increased federal spending, which is what in- increasing the debt ceiling allows.
0: And I think another way to really hammer it home is to to look at things that are in these budgets and in these bills that seem frivolous to most people who maybe can't even afford eggs right now. Like, I don't know, maybe putting a bust of Zelensky to celebrate that clown and that hack. That's another thing. You know, young people sometimes in Gen Z, maybe they're not that smart, but I think they can understand that that is a giant waste of money, or at least I would hope so. But I want to turn to Kevin McCarthy now because we know it it was a hard fight to get where we are. But are you impressed so far with his job performance? And if so, do you think he's going to be able to maintain that because he's always looking over his shoulder at this point?
2: Well, I am impressed, quite frankly. Uh, He's kept uh, the promises he's made so far. And I think think sincerely he wants to do it. And sincerely, I want him to do it because I think if he does it, he'll be a great speaker. Now, what does that mean? You say looking over his shoulder. That means the poor guy, he's going to be looking over his shoulder at me and my guys. He's going to be looking over his shoulder at uh people who want him not to do that stuff as well. But I think, uh I think the vast majority of our conferences center, right. They may, you know, so that means that, that they're going to want him to do these things. I had people on the other spectrum, the other side of the spectrum tell me we, they love the rules changes that are coming into place. They, but they, they wanted only Kevin McCarthy, which I, I never understood. But anyway, I think Kevin can be a great speaker and i want him to be a great speaker because it'll mean great things for this country ahead
0: yeah we're all optimistic and i think that the rules changes and the concessions that he had to make i mean it was a hard fight to get there it personally frustrated me to see it all go down but if it really means that we're going to have a better functioning Congress and a better functioning House majority for Republicans to be able to actually follow through on the mandate given to them by constituents, I'm all for it. And that week of chaos was all right. Last thing I want to talk to you about is COVID. Uh, COVID is over so far as I'm concerned it's been over in Nashville Tennessee for about two and a half years now we've lived our lives but now that COVID is over and even Democrats are starting to admit that COVID is over there's one thing that's going to stick around that I am very very concerned about and that is the side effects from this vaccine. It really doesn't go a day without us seeing some headline about somebody dying suddenly. Whether we know that that was from the vaccine or what have you, there's no denying that there has been an uptick in these heart issues, these cardiac arrests, especially in young, healthy people. And I want to know what, if anything, the House Republicans and Republicans in general can do to hold big pharma, big tech, big government accountable because they had their hands in all of this
2: yeah, so the first thing I think that has to happen is you have to go in and change the immunity statutes that protect a big pharma with regard to uh, experimental vaccines and And I think that that hopefully we've got enough uh, groundswell there, but on both sides, I think that may actually be a bi- bipartisan um type of issue um because we need to do something there. I think that's the first thing. Uh, The second thing is you got to get in and actually kind of dismantle some of the the big pharma protections overall um, and also get into looking at the FDA regulations and and what CDC has done. And then we have to go after um, the the federal government bureaucracies that were uh, encouraging mandates uh, because that was non-scientific and there was so much literature out there. Um, questioning that. So there, there's a lot to do on the front end, but the f- but most important thing I think that can come out of this is to actually change the immunity statutes with regard to Big Pharma.
0: Well, I think so too. And what I'd also like to see is I'd like to see some of these wardens of big tech be called to the carpet, along with folks from the White House, like the White House digital director, Rob Flaherty, who seemed to have a very personal issue with me and my colleague Tucker Carlson talking about the vaccine and asking Facebook to make sure that they ran that down and reduced us. So I would like to see these people testify. I'd like to see this White House digital director answer why he thinks that me, Tucker Carlson, and others were so dangerous that we didn't even deserve to have our personal thoughts and feelings out on a social media platform. Do you think, in my last question for you, do you think there's ever going to be a day when big tech is actually held accountable? I feel like I've been talking about this now for four or five years, and we just haven't quite gotten there yet.
2: Yeah, I, I will tell you that uh, I, everybody should read uh, Ken Buck, uh, Representative Ken Buck's new book "Crushed," because it gives you some information there. But I, but beyond that, I, I'm all in. I'm a I'm a believer that you need to break up big tech because what they did, they it becomes fascism, and that's this is the way I I, I try to speak to all generations. Is we all want to be able to express ourselves, and and so. In order to allow expression, you're going to have to break up big tech. You cannot allow them to monopolize uh, a speech in America uh, because they, that's what they've done. And in so doing, people like me, people like you, I was knocked off uh, social media because I said things like, you know, masks don't work. I have got a hundred studies on my desk right here that support that. So I got, I got knocked off. You know, what I mean, the re- the reality is none of us should have our speech suppressed for offering an opinion that is heterodox to the established to the establishment to the government and and i don't know what happened to the left but in the 60s they used to say you know question authority and now today they've become the authority and they don't want you to question authority And I've always been a guy who said, you know, we should question it. Everybody should be able to question authority. And the way to do it, in my opinion, is to break up big tech.
0: Well, amen to that. And I think if there's any group of people that can do it, it's you guys. So thank you for always putting heat on this issue. Thanks for taking the time today. Best of luck to you, to Speaker McCarthy, to all of you who are fighting that good fight. It's going to be an uphill battle, but at least you guys are willing to fight it. And that's the first step.
2: Amen. Thank you for all you do.
0: Thank you so much. All right, still ahead. She thinks she's a social justice warrior, but really she's a privileged brat who cares more about personal spotlight than she ever did Mother Earth. My final thoughts are next. Imagine having so much privilege you pull a stunt outside of a coal mine project, a project those less fortunate depend on so as not to freeze in the winter. It's time for final thoughts. Coal, a cheap and highly effective fossil fuel used to heat and power much of the world. It's a valuable resource many, especially in developing nations, depend on so as not to freeze to death. But Swedish teen climate activist Greta Thunberg doesn't care. The merits of such energy get in the way of her grift. Here she is in Germany, smiling and smirking away after being briefly detained, which is clearly staged during a protest against the town's coal mine expansion. Greta and her comrades have their compostable panties in a wad over the expansion as they believe their worthless virtue signals trump affordable and effective energy access for those who truly need it. They call it a betrayal of present and future generations, which is ironic given freezing to death or otherwise having limited access to affordable energy seems a whole hell of a lot worse if you're a sane person and not an attention-seeking turd. German police asked her and the other climate change degenerates numerous times to back away from the edge of the mine, lest karma do its job and she injure herself. She refused and was briefly detained. Greta also remarked that Germany is one of the biggest polluters in the world and needs to be held accountable. Funny though, China is the biggest polluter in the world and I've yet to see young Greta hold a forcible protest there. Methinks her punishment for such behavior in communist China would perhaps be a bit more severe than a brief detention by police, hmm? Greta Thunberg is the embodiment of what the left usually decries as white privilege, a 20-year-old who trots around the more friendly parts of the world to protest climate change and campaign for an end to the energy poor people can afford. It's odd how the left picks and chooses its martyrs, isn't it? But hey, those are just my final thoughts. Be sure to catch the entire show as well as exclusive content on outkick.com from Nashville. God bless and take care.